And we're able to give people choices. Like, do you want a colonoscopy or do you want an at-home test? And we were able to show that we could increase both tests, not just the colonoscopy, not just the at-home test. And that's because it wasn't just yet another email that's telling you to like get a flu shot or to do something. It actually got to the root of the anxiety around why people weren't getting that test. I'm excited to welcome Vinay Bragava, president and co-founder of Mitonomy, to the 49th episode of the Redox podcast. Mitonomy is, of course, a content platform focused on patient education. We were able to discuss many of the big trends facing our industry today, including where automation fits into the patient experience and how, if done right, it can actually increase the impact of the patient-provider interaction. Vinay brings a wealth of knowledge into healthcare from his background in consumer technology, including as an early employee at Google. I'm excited to share our conversation with you. Vinay, welcome to the Redox Podcast. Thanks for having me, Nico. Really excited to be here with you. Me too. I would love to start by just hearing a little bit about your background, if you could give kind of the three-minute story of who you are and how you ended up co-founding Mitonomy. Yeah, absolutely. So... I would say my headlines, I grew up on the consumer internet. By education, I'm an electrical engineer, spent a lot of time in the Midwest at Purdue, and was really passionate about digital imaging. And so graduated from Purdue and went to Eastman Kodak, which I have to explain to my kids is the Instagram of the 20th century. By Kodak, I was a software engineer. And in the mid-90s, gosh, talk about being in the right place at the right time. If you had a Sun workstation on your desk, you had a front row seat to the growth of the web, right? Like I remember downloading Mosaic at Purdue as a grad student. I joke, I almost didn't graduate on time because I was clearly distracted. At Kodak, there were just so many interesting models that we were considering. I actually had the privilege of working on a successful digital imaging product called the Picture Maker Reprint Machine. So it still exists. You can go into retailers and bring a photo, a hard copy photo and make a print from a print. But I was really enthralled with the rise of the web, right? And so I said, gosh, how do I get to Silicon Valley? Went to business school at MIT for a couple of years. And that really set me up to get out to Silicon Valley, joined a startup called Opinions, learned a lot about, Opinions was like Yelp before Yelp. And frankly, learned a lot about the cost per click advertising model, which was pioneered by a company called Overture. That kind of gave me a little bit of credibility and background to interview at Google. It was still really hard. And I joined Google in 2003 and had a great seven-year run. And that's what I did before Mitonomy. So at Google, I had two big jobs. One was negotiating strategic partnerships. I will shamelessly name drop and say I was privileged to work with Sundar Pichai from 2004 to 2006 as his BD guy. So we distributed a lot of toolbars in that era. And then was tasked with helping to start Google TV ads. And that's where I learned a lot about streaming video and what cable companies thought was going to happen with the future of video. And a lot of those interactions helped plant the seeds to Mitonomy, which I started after uh, Google. Nice. Give us the quick Mitonomy story. Like, why did you start it? And tell us about how it's evolved into what it is today. Absolutely. It's gone through a lot of twists and turns, like a lot of startups. So listen, I am the eldest son in an immigrant family, and you're supposed to... I really didn't have any problems that I could think of that I had to start a company around. But one thing I was always sympathetic to is whether whether you're an immigrant or you've been here for five generations, if your family hasn't applied to college in the United States, it's a pretty complicated process. And so I initially created my autonomy with the goal of scaling college counseling through short videos. Think like Khan Academy with a social media twist for school counseling. And we did that for a few years. 
And when Anjali Kataria was leaving, our current CEO was leaving the second Obama administration. She happens to be my wife. So we had conversations about, we've always had conversations about tech, but you know, she's more enterprise software on consumer internet. So we kind of had our own swim lanes, if you will. But when she was leaving the administration, and this is when the ACA had been acted, she was like, hey, this is a really cool product, but I think it belongs in healthcare. And I said, great, why don't you run it? Because he's actually been an entrepreneur before. And to make a long story short, Anjali was able to get us into MedStar Health here in the DC area. We did some pilots. We got some great results with, with a system, which at the time was software only. And we were relying on other people to create content. But Mitonomy has taken off. We're 100% healthcare. And we've been doing that since 2016. So it's been an interesting journey. I've always been fascinated with learning and kind of helping people. If you don't know what you don't know, even Google can't help you, right? You don't know what to type into that search box. So healthcare is complicated. It needs explaining. So I'm glad I could kind of bring my internet experience to the table there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I always love to ask how you landed that first customer with MedStar, right? Because young company, you were just getting into healthcare. I imagine mm -hmm. there's a lot of collaboration on using them to help you figure out like, what does the solution need to look yeah. like? Can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I believe Anjali had one of her administration connections introduced us to a senior leader at MedStar, Dr. Mark Smith. And MedStar was a great partner. And so you're absolutely right. One of the things they said to us was, hey, we're actually really good at creating content, but we don't have a distribution mechanism. We don't have a way to basically deliver video content outside of the hospital. And so the specific case, the problem they were trying to solve is they had a leading physician, Dr. Lowell Sattler, who was running the cardiac cath lab at MedStar Washington Health System. And he wanted to do patient ed differently slash better. And with MedStar creating the content and with us bringing the platform to the table and with a lot of great collaboration from the frontline nurses at MedStar, the Cytel, which was MedStar's innovation arm, we were able to do a pilot. They published the results. It was really good. We were able to attract capital and raise our Series A. But yeah, if you're going to sell to health systems, it really helps to have a health system partner. Nice, nice. And fast forward to today, you've kind of taken, I'm just thinking of the sort of Netflix model of they started yeah. as so pure software, but now right. they're creating their own content. And you yeah. almost follow that because you're not distributing other people's content That's anymore. Right. You're creating That's your right. own. So, what does so that process honestly, look like? Yeah, that is probably that is probably one of the, the best decisions we made as a company. And that was really Anjali's foresight. So listen, we tried to partner with really well-known health systems who you know are great have great doctors they even have their own filming capabilities we tried multiple right and the reality is you know the main job for doctors at health systems is to care for patients not necessarily through the side project which is creating patient ed videos so we just started recruiting doctors from our network and we had this is kind of a funny story so so Angela and I are married and our daughter who's now going off to college at the time was doing musical theater and so she had experience in local theaters and we met people from that musical theater connection who they did that as a side gig their main gig was you know, they had their own production company and so we we decided to create medical content and we have gone for doing it out of need and necessity to be able to hit deadlines right because the only reason we've been able to win enterprise-wide RFPs is you can't just we started in cardiac cath you actually have to cover everything and that's 
a big making a few videos easy. Lots of people can do it. Every health system has, you know, their YouTube channel. They have Dr. So-and-so on it. Having thousands of videos in English and Spanish is like an industrial process, right? You got to make the donuts. You got to have a process to do it. But we do look up to Netflix. I think they have created a wonderful consumer experience. They have something for everyone. And they've shown that if you change the UI and the experience of a consumer, you can change how people consume content. Meaning in the old days, like we would have scheduled TV and I would watch one episode of Friends in the late 90s. And now you can watch the whole season at once, right? So, so you know, as we record this, it's Q1 2023. Our industry has changed so much in the past couple of years. I'd love to dig in on like, what are the trends you're following and how are those trends shaping not only the content you're producing, but how you're talking with health systems and what they care about right now? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, listen, I read the same kind of trade journals that you probably do. And I think one of the top problems that we're all hearing about is nursing challenges, right? Like we don't have enough nurses and physicians are burned out after the pandemic. I think the number one cause of that burnout isn't just long hours, which of course they have, but it's actually too many bureaucratic and administrative tasks. So we always, because we're a B2B to C company and we sell the health, health systems, which then deploy to their patients, we absolutely have to have that quadruple aim in mind about how does our product impact staff. And so anything we can do to automate some of those more mundane conversations and have nurses and doctors practice at the top of their license is fantastic for them. It uplifts them, it uplifts the patients, and it also helps hospitals in a, in a second trend in terms of like what we're seeing you know, everyone's talking about hospital to home or shifting care to less acute, less expensive sites. So in order to do that, right, if you can't replicate the same infrastructure that you have in a hospital at an ASC or a clinic, you need to have these like asset light strategies, right? I'm going to put on my McKinsey hat for a second. I have no affiliation with McKinsey, but I think that's how they would sound, right? They would say something like that. So they would talk about asset light models and we would take consumer technology that everyone, a lot of people have in the palm of their hand and use that to advance the health system goals. The other trend I would say, look, from a consumerization standpoint, you're seeing these trends finally penetrate healthcare. I think as a consumer, finally getting to get better billing experiences from a health system, online appointment booking, I think has taken off. There are lots of good, a lot of good trends to point to. The big trend, you mentioned it's Q1. Today, it's early February, right? So Google just announced their chatbot answer to chat GPT in BARD. And for someone who, you know, as I'm old enough to like, I'm pre-Google, I remember being on Usenet, and now it's almost like this whole innovation cycle is starting over again, where people are still hungry for Q&A, right? So I would argue Q&A is one of the earliest killer apps of the internet. Even before the browser, there were Usenet groups where people would ask questions and like debate, right? And so now I think a lot of people are like, gosh, this is another paradigm shift, if we can use that buzzword. And what does it mean for healthcare? So I'm definitely following that. We could probably do a podcast just on that. You might be already saturated. My eyes are rolling on LinkedIn. I get a lot of people pretending to be chat GPT experts. We're done being experts on viruses on Twitter. Now we're experts on AI. So yeah, yeah. I've been following that kind of at, a, at an arm's length and just thinking about what might be possible from like seeing the examples of, I, I saw an article that chat GPT was able to pass the medical licensing exam. Yeah, like I saw that. Wild. <laughs> like, yeah. As far as patient education goes, there's a the sort of common joke that if you ask Google about it, your symptoms, it's always cancer, 
like yes. Dr. Google <laughs> always leads three you to cancer. Three clicks and unfortunately <laughs> you have cancer, right? We're always three clicks away from cancer. But anyways, going back to these trends, what have you seen is like working well in the industry and what are organizations doing that's actually moving the needle? Well, I think people have shown that they, I think if we look at the industry at a high level, right? If you look at the outsiders to the industry, they have nibbled away in terms of providing access and convenience. And I'm thinking about big retailers, setting up urgent care centers, setting up primary care. I think we've seen a lot of investment in those lower acuity type appointments being handled with more convenience, right? And I think when we all needed to get COVID vaccines, I think the retailer community stepped up big time, in addition to hospitals, of course, right? So I think there's room for optimism in terms of providing access, which is a first step to equity, right? If people can't get healthcare, if it's not easy, then they can't get it, right? And only the people with time on their hands or connections can get access. Yeah, for sure. As a contrast, like, are you seeing any dim spots in the industry? Like, what what hasn't been working well? What needs to change? Well, I feel for everyone that's working in a hospital right now, and I get my own kind of weekly insight. My sister is a pulmonologist at a safety net hospital in, in Oakland, and I like to joke I'm Indian, so I have a lot of doctors in my network. So what I think is not working, and this is kind of obvious, right? We have we, we have put our clinicians out for many tours of duty, and they need a rest. And yet the burden of administrative tasks, the burden of the business model, I mean, if we're really answering the question, I think what's not working is how we pay for healthcare. Let me just start there. Like that's like the 50 point font headline is the way we pay for healthcare in this country is not working. It wasn't designed this way. It's like a lot of things. It just kind of evolved, right? World War II. Like it doesn't make sense in my opinion for an employer to be responsible for health insurance. I think everyone, whether you're employed or not, should be able to get care and not worry about bankruptcy, right? That's like, we're the only country that someone can go bankrupt due to medical debt. So that's a whole other topic. I'll just leave yeah. it at that. It's the number one cause of bankruptcy in the country is medical yeah, debt. It's just wild. Everyone else thinks it's absurd, right? It's like, we are all walking around. We've gone to Vegas for our genetics. We don't know if we're, we got four aces or we have a really bad hand and we can do better. I'll leave it at that because it's a very big topic. I think other things that we can do better at, frankly, just taking the easy wins, right? And automating things that the silly things that we need to ask people to enter in their information three times when they're a patient. When you're a staff member, like obviously we think about this, like do you have to have the same conversation eight, eight times a day? Because that gets mind numbing and you're not the same doctor you were at 6 p.m. than you were at 9 a.m. So how can we use technology to take some of those low-hanging fruit things off someone's plate so they can do the things that they went to med school for? Nice. And that's getting back to that that shortage and burnout that you mentioned earlier. I'd love yeah. to, to dig in, and this might be getting a little bit tactical, but sure. when you think about your software helping to educate patients on disease state or, or even just what's going on with them, how does that fit into the workflow and actually reduce some of that headache that providers might be feeling around having that same conversation a hundred times? So tactically from a workflow perspective, how are yeah. you actually inserting that content into that experience? Well, we're doing it thanks to you guys, right? And I wasn't trying to give you a softball there, but as you know, right, your company's based on this. If, if Steve Ballmer said developers for software, that's a Microsoft joke. Some of you guys might have to Google that. Healthcare would be workflow, workflow, workflow. So how are we engaging in workflow, what we're trying to do is manage the patient throughout their entire journey, i.e. before they show up, even before they're even a patient, they might be a consumer 
And instead of calling in to understand, like, I'm not sure if I need a colonoscopy or my friend had a breast exam and a, a mammogram, and I'm not sure if I should. There are a lot of just simple Q&A that we can reduce. Like we can reduce phone calls with Mitonomy's video interface, which is designed for training. Because playing a video isn't innovative. You don't need us if that's, you need to play one video. But websites are not designed to be training platforms, whereas we are. And we can harness the health system brand so that there's trust involved in that information. So to answer your question, if we move along the patient journey now, okay, I've decided I'm going to come in and let's go back to the, let's go back to where it started, right? When, if you're getting a cardiac cath and you have questions, you're like, am I going to go under anesthesia? What can I eat? Where do I park? You have a lot of questions and understandable, right? Understandably, right? So instead of the nurse having to answer all those questions all the time or give you a handout, which frankly, people most of the time don't read. They could send you a text or email, they being the health system, to say, hey, you're coming in for your cardiac cath and A, your doctor wants you to watch some videos. So all of a sudden, all this Q&A is offloaded to the patient, and they can self-serve, and we're bringing measurement to this. So this is how online advertising works, right? They don't spend all this money sending you messages without measuring it, right? So we can tell you that Vinay watched his cardiac cath videos, but Nico did not. So now the nurse can triage and say, well, I'm not going to call Vinay because I already know he's like watched all these videos, but Nico, he's a slacker. I'm going to pick him up and <laughs> I'm going to call him. So like I'm now reducing phone calls. And so instead of blindly spreading my staffing resources like peanut butter across my entire patient population, I can segment my patient population and say, these people need a lot of help. These people seem pretty engaged. And then post-discharge, same thing, right? Think of orthopedics where people are trying to get their merit badge with registries. So they're doing all this data collection. So one of the things we can do right now, we actually replaced a lot of nurse phone calling. Like the phone is like the most powerful tool in healthcare, right? People are always making phone calls. So sometimes they're needed, but a lot of times you can send a text, you can do data collection. None of these things are uniquely unique. They're not unique to mitonomy, but I would argue from a design perspective, the way we've integrated all these capabilities with video being the hammer that we use relentlessly to say, are you confused? Here's a video. Are you not sure? Here's your doctor on a video, right? So we see the world through a video colored lens and we've wrapped other capabilities around that, all of which help staff kind of not have to repeat themselves, not have to do like just data collection that could be offloaded. Gotcha. So beyond being the Netflix-like curated interface of content, on the back end, you're providing nurses and other sorts of practitioners with the ability to reach out, to contact, to pull in videos into those communications as well. Or are they using other systems to do that communication? So we have all of that in one one-stop shop. So we are we are a modular system, meaning if they someone has their own texting platform, we can integrate with it. But it's really that ability to actively nudge someone with a combination of videos and texts, get them to take that next step based on their prior activity that I think is really powerful. And one thing I would say, Nico, in it, we've talked all about patients. One of the things our customers have come to us with is like, hey, we're really trying to recruit new nurses when they show up at our hospital the in in the old days like they would be more experienced nurses that could teach them how do we do it at Acme Hospital right how do mm. we do this thing now unfortunately a lot of new nurses are just being thrown into seeing patients and so we're also doing nurse training not like the credentialing type training of keeping current with your CME credits 
but the system specific training of how do we do this at our hospital versus that hospital across the street. So the same infrastructure, same price, it's just multiple use cases with one with one investment. Yeah, wow. That's cool. I hadn't thought of that use case. What are the other use cases I'm not thinking of? Like what is the what is the vision yeah. for Mitonomy and where is this going? How do you see this kind of Yeah, so our vision is to help patients and their families care for themselves at every step of their care journey inside or outside of the hospital. And what that means like so that's kind of high level, right? The specifics, the use cases that I'd love to mention are things like hospital to home. So all of a sudden, you know, you've been discharged and you now have a drip catheter in your house. You may have questions. You may be wondering about the wound. Should you call someone? There's all this, like, once again, explanation and teaching that nurses would traditionally do when they have you captive in the bed. But now if you're not in the bed, <laughs> someone's still got to do that, right? So that's a use case. Remote patient monitoring. Another huge use case. So imagine if you know you have you're a heart failure patient and you're adherent and you're doing the things you're supposed to do. You're taking your blood pressure. You're watching your sodium intake. But you can imagine that there are triggers from your blood pressure that could be sent to the system, the remote patient monitoring product, Mitonomy, whatever. We can share that data, obviously, with tools like yours. And then we can trigger content to say, oh, we noticed that you have high blood pressure. Here are some things for you to do beyond just a plain text message. If a plain text message is good enough, then you should just do that. But we've seen that when it comes to example, in other use case screenings, that if you're trying to get a lot of people to get a colonoscopy, if you've emailed them three times, the answer isn't to email them four or five times, like it's probably not gonna work. The reason they're not coming in is they're confused. And so we actually did a, a recent deployment where we were able to reach out to long tail people that were in a systems EMR. They had not, they were eligible for a colonoscopy. The system had tried to contact them, but then after, for whatever reason, like the efforts didn't work, totally understandable. And now they're six months past due and they gave us a shot working with, working to deliver not only colonoscopy education, but alternates to colonoscopy were also presented in this patient education module. And we're able to give people choices. Like, do you want a colonoscopy or do you want an at-home test? And we were able to show that we could increase both tests not just the colonoscopy, not just the at-home test. And that's because it wasn't just yet another email that's telling you to like get a flu shot or to do something. It actually got to the root of the anxiety around why people weren't getting that test. So mm -hmm. lots of use cases. I would just think of it this way. Video is one of the most popular consumer behaviors when we're not sick, right? So Netflix, YouTube, TikTok, right? Kids are like getting, my son gets his news from TikTok. I'm like, oh gosh, we got to talk about this, right? So that institutional use of healthcare is a video in healthcare is very limited and we're trying to change that. So there's just dozens of use cases, but the core use case is patient education and engagement. Nice. So when I think about companies, the people who have been most successful at changing consumer behavior and educating yeah. consumers, like you said, your son's getting news from TikTok, right? There's yeah. there's a lot of talk about how these big companies are wanting to move into healthcare. Health, healthcare is yeah. this last frontier of industries yeah. that hasn't really been infiltrated by them yet. What are your thoughts, obviously, with your background with Google and stuff? Like, yeah. what are your thoughts on big tech trying to put it into the space? And what is the 
there's a lot of hype here, but what is the yeah. reality of it? And yeah, how are you thinking of this? So I have a lot of opinions here and I'm proud to say like, I am a Google alum. We do have on Duos a customer. So I'll just disclose that, but these are my personal opinions, right? So let's look at big tech as selling to consumers and then big tech as it, like what does it do for enterprises, right? So on the consumer side, I think Apple is clearly the farthest along in terms of their health ambitions. They've been very clear that they want to make a difference here, whether it's the Apple Watch that I'm wearing or other apps that they're that they have. I think they are very sincere and seem like I have a cardiologist friend who's like, yeah, the Apple Watch is great, but like he showed me his email. He's like every day he's got like email with people wondering if they have AFib, right? I'm like, you need to send them a video. I can hook you up. So I think Apple has a very clear strategy. There's a, I think there's this blurry line between wellness and health, right? Health is like, you got to be a doctor or a nurse to talk about health and wellness is a little bit more squishy, right? On the institutional side, I think all of the big guns like Google, Microsoft, Amazon are selling cloud products. Obviously, AWS is, I think, the leader in terms of healthcare, but you're seeing Google Cloud make some really great partnership announcements. Microsoft, obviously, now they have chat GPT and other things up their sleeve. The thing is, big tech, and you can't help it when you work at a big tech company, you're always thinking about the problem being what I call a home game. You always interpret the problem through the lens of your company, not necessarily through the problem set that the physician or nurse has. Google creates Google Studio because they're like, oh, there's a search problem in the EMR. They're like, well, yeah, there is a That's true. I don't disagree. <laughs> but, you know, that's what they're going to gravitate to. What I say in general about big tech is we don't see... Like they seem to be comfortable playing at the infrastructure layer and we're an application on, in this case, AWS, but we could be hosted anywhere, right? I think the reality is selling to healthcare is difficult and it takes a long time. And I think everyone feels they need to have one foot in that healthcare water, but I see them not fully committing if I'm being candid. Because then I would see a bunch of like salespeople in the same lobby that I'm at, right? And I don't see those salespeople. So I think they, I think there's just a lot of wishful thinking about like at any of these companies and the supplies, right? They, they're all looking at this problem through their lens as opposed from a first principles approach, which is like, what's the root cause of these workflow issues? Where are people spending time? Is this really the problem that needs to be solved? And listen, the other thing is just to state the obvious. Like they're late. So there's already dominant players with Epic and Cerner. And then there's a whole long tail where the EHR, it's a thing. You can't not have an EHR, right? So you see the CRM makers trying to be like, well, we all know the EHR is great, but we need another system to deal with you when you're a consumer. And that's where my autonomy, we, we don't care if you're using a CRM or an EHR, we'll play in either space. But I think big tech, because of who they are and their legacy, they I don't think they're bringing all their brains to the table when they try to solve the healthcare problem. Trying to get healthcare to fit into their mold versus the other way around. Yeah, and their mold might be a little too mature to change. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, healthcare, there's a joke, right? If you've seen one health system, you've seen one health system. And that yeah. needing, I mean, you can certainly make a product really configurable. You're a software guy, so that means... You're not having engineers set up the differences like you as an end user can change just like you and I might have different privacy settings on Facebook. Different hospitals can have different settings for Redox and Mitonomy. But I think you have to spend a lot of time with physicians and understand workflow if you're going to sell the health systems. Now, 
I wouldn't count any of these guys out. They have oodles of money and they're very patient, but I would just take a look at their progress and see where is it going to be. I actually think this whole chat thing is going to force people to have a healthcare strategy because anytime there's a great information intervention, right? Healthcare is always one of the first verticals that people use it for because it's the thing that people care most about, really, yeah. right? I mean, in terms of like using a tool. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of caring, this is the reason that I love working at Redox because I get to work with people like you who are actually yeah. making an impact at the on the front lines of patient care. And so being able to play a small part in that and a part we do to help empower that is is an honor and a privilege. And so it's always so great to hear about it. Is there anything else that, that we didn't touch on that you wanted to share either about the company or what's going on in the world or anything like that? Yeah, I, I would say that I would just kind of close with a lot of the provider shortages and the stresses that we put on our provider workforce. We need to be smart about how to peel off some of those tasks that can be automated and go ahead and try to automate that while preserving the humanity in healthcare. And I think the easiest way to do that, it's not easy, but relatively speaking, I think if we can get the patients involved in any way as possible, right? Doesn't have to be through our product, can be through some other means. Anything to truly get to, to activate patients and to help them make better decisions will be a true force multiplier. So I appreciate you inviting me on your podcast. We're thrilled to be partners with Redox. Honestly, it's I wish we had signed up a couple of years earlier if I could play the replay tape. It's super important for us to for us to continue to get scale to make it easy and not have any clicking. And that's what Redox is really enabling is this automated triggering of content assignment without having to ask a doctor to like, oh, you got to go click these things to sign these great videos. So really excited to build on our partnership. Yes, likewise. And I love what you said about the automation we're talking about here is not removing the humanity from the healthcare experience. It's about empowering the patient so then they can have more impactful conversations with their providers. And I love that approach of looking at it because there's a lot of automation that can be had, but we're not talking about taking that patient provider experience away and diminishing right. it. It's really about empowering it to make it more impactful. 100%. Amazing. If people want to learn more about Mitonomy, where can they, how can they find you? They can hook me up on email, Vinay at mitonomy.com. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn as well. And love to connect with anyone that wants to talk further. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I can't wait to put this out. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Well, there you have it. That was Vinay Bragava, president and co-founder of Mitonomy on the 49th episode of the Redox podcast. You can find the show notes as well as all 48 other episodes on our website at redoxengine.com. I'm Nikos Kivaski, and thank you for listening.